sharing on something I shared this morning as well. Um, it's just something that uh, I'd actually uh, also touched on at a conference we had been at a while back. Um, but I think it's just pertinent to where we are as a, as a nation at this moment that there are people hungry for hope, they're hungry for truth, they're hungry for life, they're hungry to see God moving in the midst of the everyday moments, the everywhere moments in the midst of the streets. And so uh, I know that different churches are focusing on things like hope tonight, getting rid of fear. Um, these are our friends in the city and this is what they're going after. And so I want to touch on who we call to be as the community of God, caught up in the mission of God, for the purposes of God, for the life of the city we've been, a nation we've been placed in. So I'm going to start off by reading something I got from Reader's Digest. I, I hope it's appropriate. It kind of speaks into the moment. And it says, what religion are bears? Like the furry bears. What religion are bears? So it speaks about a priest, a minister, and a rabbi. And they're all trying to see who was best at their job. And so they thought what we'll do is we'll go into the woods and we'll try and find a bear and we'll see who can convert this bear. So it starts off with the priest going first and he says, well, you know what? I found a bear and I read to him from the catechism and I sprinkled him with holy water and next week is going to be his first communion. And the minister was quite impressed with the priest and what he had done. And the minister said, well, you know what? I also found a bear by a stream. And I preached God's holy word, and it was so mesmerizing that he let me baptize him. And, and the priest, priest thought, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Then they both looked at the rabbi who had been quite quiet, and they looked down on him because he was looking a bit dejected and hurt as he was lying in a gurney in a body cast. And he said quite ponderously, looking back, maybe I shouldn't have started with circumcision. Now, why I'm saying that, there's a reason, there's a reason. Why I'm saying that is sometimes we, um, we try and use tradition to spread the message in the life of God, and we just end up causing damage and hurt to others and to ourselves and to the name of the one that we represent. And so we're going to see a beautiful moment. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to see a beautiful moment where this is done with such grace and such authenticity that it sets a city on edge. And the streets are filled with the life of God. And so uh, I think it's just pertinent to the moment that we're in. And just a little bit of backstory, if you've been reading in Acts, if you see in Acts chapter 1, um, there's been amazing things happening. God's people, as supernatural people, are starting to come together. In, verse, in, in chapter 1, verse 14, we see that they are gathering together, 120 of them. They are praying and they are seeking God because they're trusting to encounter something of his nature and his character and his life. And I want to thank you for coming out here this evening, because even as we look at this, the first healthy expression we see of God's supernatural people in Scripture is this, is that they gathered around the person of Jesus. And that's what we've come here to do this evening. It's to gather around the person of Jesus. It's not to hear a message from a smiley preacher. And so if the message isn't that great and my smile isn't that convincing, don't be fazed by that. We are gathering around the life of Jesus. That's what we're doing. And there's something supernatural that takes place in the atmosphere when we do that, aware of his presence, his moving, his life, and the activity of heaven in this house. And so that's what we see is happening there. And in Acts chapter 2, there's this beautiful moment. The Holy Spirit comes and is poured out upon them, and they are empowered, and they've been in this place where there were things happening in the street. There was persecution. There was danger. There were these challenges, and they had been overwhelmed by that. In a place of being overwhelmed, they had come 
come to seek God in the small upper room, 120 of them, and the Holy Spirit comes and He empowers them and He fills them and something starts to shift that takes place where they are no longer overwhelmed, but they start to overflow and the life of what's happening pours out on the streets once again. Uh, that's a word for us here in the city of South Africa where there's things happening on our streets that are causing us to be overwhelmed. We need to go and connect with Jesus as we're doing here once again. We need to gather as His church. We need to be encouraged in Him. We need to trust for the life and the empowering of the Holy Spirit that a river can start to overflow in and through us that starts to spill out and to bring refreshing on the streets. And so that's, uh, that's what we see happening here in the, in the book of Acts. And we see this beautiful outworking that the Father gave a beautiful gift to us in His Son, Jesus. And we know that Jesus also gives a gift to the world. The Father gave a beautiful gift to the world in His Son, Jesus, and Jesus also gives a beautiful gift to the world. Now, the first thought you would have is that of the Holy Spirit as we're speaking about that, and He is the promise of the Father. We know that Jesus sent Him to empower us and to um, comfort us and to counsel us and to equip us and empower us, but let me tell you, the gift that Jesus gives the world is the gift of His body those that represent and carry his life wherever they might be placed. The gift that he's giving to uh, Durban and to South Africa and to your home and to your workplace and to wherever you might be studying, the gift that he's giving is you. And when I'm saying you, it's you in Christ and Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the gift that he's giving to the world. And we see the church this moment where uh, the church gathers it's this beautiful picture of like breathing. As we gather in a moment like this, it's like drawing in the breath of God so that we become fully oxygenated. But then there's the going. Then there's the, the breathing out. Then there's the scattering. And we've said before that term scattering doesn't mean in fear. This is what it's talking about when I talk about the church gathered and scattered. I mean a movement of sons and daughters empowered by the Holy Spirit and sent to bring life to cities. When they show up, when you show up in the city carrying hope, it causes the city to come into a place of hope once again and captives to be released. That's what happens when we uh, take God's word at its, His word, when we gather in moments like this, when we are aware of just what's happening with His presence in the atmosphere, that we know that we leave here fully equipped to be hope carriers, hope dispensers bringers and releases of life that others can come into the freedom of knowing him. And we're going to see this outworked in Acts chapter 3. Going to start in verse 1. It says, one day. Will you say that with me? You'll see why a bit later. Say one day. Amen. Say it again. One day. Amen. Excellent. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment. When we look at the temple in Scripture and Jewish understanding, the temple was the interface between heaven and earth. That was the place that you wanted to get to. That was the place that you wanted to go to. That was the place where everything happened. It was where you would find provision. It was where you would find forgiveness. It was where you would find redemption. It was where you would find healing and deliverance and liberty and the peace of God in the house of God. That's where you would want to go. That's where the promise was held. I've had the opportunity of traveling to Israel and going to the Western Wall, and people love to pray there. Have you seen those pictures of people praying and leaning up against the wall? And when you get there, in every crack on the wall, you'll find a little rolled up scroll, a little prayer that people are being there. Because part of their faith believes that where the temple was is holy ground. And that is the place where there is this, as they believe, this portal where heaven touches 
touches earth. So if you pray there, your prayers are going to get heard and answered the quickest. Because if you're praying in Durban, South Africa, your prayer has to travel all the way through Africa to get to, to Israel to, to ascend at that place. That is their, their thought pattern. And here's what's being re- represented by the temple to get to this holy ground. Let me go to verse 2. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. I mean, here's something ironic in terms of what I've just been describing about the temple. The temple was the place where you'd find breakthrough and healing and deliverance. And here's someone who's getting laid, uh, laid there every day, and he's not finding breakthrough, healing, and deliverance. And maybe there's something provocative uh, to us as a people about what that means when they are coming um, to, to engage with the community of God, to engage with us as the church of God, not just the building, that they are coming not just to, to sit around an every day, every Sunday sort of moment, but they're wanting to experience, they're wanting to um, feel the breakthrough that comes from encountering the life of God. And we need to know that we are being in faith to activate that. That's not what's happening in the midst of of this moment, verse 3. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. You see, he had lost hope in encountering the life-transforming power, the restorative, redemptive power of the living God. And so he had gone to what he thought was the next best thing. Give me money that will ease me in my circumstance. And so he asked them for money. And Peter and John looked straight at him. Peter looked straight at him as the John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, he raised them up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. We've been looking at Ephesians, and I just love that phrase of being raised up. Uh, We've spoken before of a potter, when he's working on the clay, he never presses down. He never puts weight that might disfigure that thing in his hands, but he's always raising up. He's always raising up out of brokenness, out of shame, out of rejection and despair. And here we see Peter doing the same thing, and this is what we get to do as God's people. Verse 8, and he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple courts a gate called beautiful, and they were filled with wonder. Can you say that word, wonder? You see, in the midst of these verses that we've looked at, one day became a wonderful day. One day becomes a wonderful day. And we're going to look at how that happens and why that takes place in just a moment. But what happens off the back of them being filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened? It says, all chaos erupts. In the midst of this moment, because Peter and John see there's this opportunity to start to declare what Jesus has done. They take the midst of this uh, moment that has caused wonder and amazement to start to declare who Jesus is. And we know that the religious leaders of the day, um, the traditionalists of the day, as we spoke about that... uh, that joke earlier before I kicked off, they try and put restrictions and limitations and definitions all about around what's happening. And they're trying to lock it in and to close it down. Because wherever the kingdom of God is moving, wherever there is kingdom demonstration happening, wherever there is that advance, it'll always meet resistance. Because the enemy loves to resist what God is doing. I love what Winston Churchill said. He said, you have enemies, good means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. 
You know, when we stand up for what God's doing and move with the current of how a spirit is moving, we are going to find resistance. But the beauty of, is knowing this, that uh, He always leads us in triumphal procession. There's resistance, but there's breakthrough. You cannot have breakthrough if there's nothing to break through. And so there's something about knowing when we're calling and praying for breakthrough. And in chapter 4, verse 4, we see that as they declared this message, everyone who heard it believed. And many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to 5,000. We see in chapter 3, 3,000 come to the faith as there's the overflow into the streets. Now we see another moment happening at a gate called Beautiful, and we see 2,000 more being, men being added. Uh, you can just imagine with children and women, it would be a lot more than that. So there's something of this multiplication that is taking place even in the midst of, um, of there being confrontation. Here's my encouragement to us as a community as we want to get caught up in God's mission carrying His life is that we're going to face conditions, circumstances, and situations that are going to cause us to want to pull back, to be reticent, and to not engage. We're going to want to, it's going to cause us to be overwhelmed, and we're going to think, no, Lord, this is a little bit too hectic. I want to step back. But here's the thing. With Peter and John, they knew their position as being seated in Christ and the access to authority that they had. So they weren't so focused on their condition that they lost perspective of their position, which would have then disqualified them from their mission. If we get so focused on our condition, we'll forget our position, which will disqualify us from our mission. We need to know where we are positioned so we can know how we're meant to move with the mission of God so that we can shift and change the conditions of society and culture around us. That's if you're wanting to be a change agent of heaven here on earth. Uh, you don't, we don't have to, but that's what we call to, and that's what excites my heart. Verse, uh, verse 13, and so when, every, when these leaders saw the courage of Peter and John, courageous in the midst of the conditions, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that they had been with Jesus. I love that. They took note that they had been with Jesus. I love that one of the things that reveals that you have been with Jesus is this. Not that you can do miracles. That, not that you've got great gifts, not that you can bring great revelation and great wisdom. It's this, that courage marks your life. When they saw the courage of these men, that there was something about a courageousness that went beyond the norm, they recognized these men had been with Jesus. And the church explodes, and one day becomes a wonderful day because of three things that unfold within this story that I'm wanting to look at. And uh, we're going to look at, and it's something that we've been sharing on, and uh, other leaders in the city, we've been sharing into this thing because we believe it's um, got such impact when we step into knowing who we are, whose we are, and uh, what we call to. It's, it's this phrase called, I am. Can you say that with me? I am. I am. Say it one more time. I am. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am. It's this acronym, I meaning identity. Say identity. identity. A means authority. Say authority. M means mission. Say mission. I am. Identity, authority, and mission. It's this, that the great I am loves to reveal himself through an I am church. A church that knows their identity, a church that knows their authority, and church that knows their mission. And this is what we're going to see in the text. So I want to start with identity. Paul and, I mean, Peter and John, we know that we've referred to them. They've been called unschooled. And for other people's eyes, they're ordinary. They're, there's nothing significant about them. That's the estimation of people. And this uh, beggar is calling out, and yet something shifts in that moment, and they say, 
Look at us. And this should be the first telltale sign that something is different about these men, that they know what they carry. You see, normally when you're going to the temple, you would have something to offer when you you would go. You wouldn't go empty-handed. And so this beggar was used to calling out for alms, and people would give him something. But here's something different. He's calling out, and they're hearing not just what his need is, but knowing, hearing what is the cry of his heart. And so they don't hear silver and gold. They hear, I'm, there's a cry of my heart for more than that, which they respond. And they say, look at us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I uh, am parked somewhere or traveling somewhere and I don't have necessarily or don't know that I've got cash on me and there's someone who's asking for something, it could be um, in a parking lot where uh, a car guard's been performing a service and he, he's coming and helping and you want to give them something. But if you don't know what you carry, you, you're avoiding eye contact. I don't know if that's just me, but I'm like tapping everywhere that I can tap um, all over me. I'm looking in every drawer and I'm, I'm not going to make eye contact unless I find something of value to give to the individual and show that I value them. And, and, and here's the thing, it doesn't mean that I don't value them, but I'm questioning whether I've got value to add to them. But when I find that thing, when I find that five rand coin or 10 rand note or a, whatever, when I find that, then suddenly I look them in the eye because I want to communicate, this is the value that I have and I want to give this to you because you are valuable. And so there's something that happens in that moment where you know what you carry so that you can say, you can look. Firstly, they looked intently and then they said, look at us. I, I know when I'm not paying attention to my four-year-old because he grabs my face and he shifts it from my laptop or my iPad or my phone and he says, look at me with a voice of authority. He learned it from his mother. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's something when you say, look at us, that there's an authority there, but also you know what you carry. You know what you carry and it's of value. And this is what's happening with them. They understood who they were. They knew that they knew that they knew that they weren't just ordinary, unlearned, unschooled, un whatever else you want to add that to men. They knew that they had been with Jesus and they knew that in him they carried something of value. And so they were able to not just hear the need of this individual, but hear the cry of his heart and know this, that we are the carriers of the presence of the living God. We are God's gift to the world and we know the one who can be the solution and answer to your deepest hurt. And so they, they, they say, look at us. And here's the beauty, is, and, and uh, Katia said this once, and it's gripped me, and I repeat it at every opportunity I get to uh, from that moment on, is they knew they weren't the good choice, but they also knew that they were the grace choice. And here's the beauty of knowing that you're the grace choice. This is what the definition means. Grace, this is one of the many beautiful definitions of grace. Grace is God's power coming to us freely, enabling us to be and to do what we need to be and to do without struggling and striving in our own strength. Grace is God's power coming to us freely that enables us to do, enables us to be what he's called us to do and to be without trying to strive and struggle in our own strength to, be it about, uh, to bring it about. It's his strength that carries us and enables us to do it. How many of us here this evening are needing to know uh, just a fresh outpouring, a fresh uh, touch, impartation of his grace upon our lives? Anyone here? Lord, I just thank you for great grace for those things which we might be facing. And here's the beauty of these men who know their identity. It's this, that they knew that through the power of the gospel and through the wonderful work of Jesus on the cross, that they had been rescued from darkness. They knew that not only that, but that they were now together part of the community of God. They had been adopted. They were sons and daughters of the living God. But not only that, they knew their identity was this. They weren't only standing before a gate called beautiful, but they themselves had become the beautiful gate. 
won't you turn to someone next to you and say, you are a beautiful gate. What does that mean? You are wondering, what did I just say and what does that mean? Psalm 24 verse 7. This is what it says. Psalm 24 verse 7. So wake up, you living gateways. I get to declare this over us this evening. So wake up, you living gateways. Lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. Welcome the King of glory, for He is about to come through you. I want to encourage you with that. We, are, we get to be living gateways. We are ageless doors of destiny. We get to hold these doors that destiny comes in and through our life and to others. And we get to welcome the King of glory because He doesn't only want to come into our lives, but He wants to come through our lives if we will open up the doors and the gates to allow Him to, to start to minister. They realized that they were the touch point of heaven coming to earth. They realized that when Jesus went to the cross, when that curtain was torn, when the heavens were open, it wasn't so that He could escape, but that He could invest all of the power all of the resource, all of the, the promises, all of the lavishness and extravagance of heaven, he could cause that to pour out in and through his people to be a blessing to the nations. And so they are realizing this, and they've got this expectation. They realize that we are the beautiful gate, and that God isn't, gonna, uh, isn't waiting to come in a building made of brick and mortar, but his presence and his goodness and his kindness is being expressed through us everywhere we go as we open up and allow them to move in and through us. They became the beautiful gate. They understood that all of the redemptive power of God, all of the life, all of the delivering power of God, the liberty and freedom that comes from Him wasn't just happening in a centralized temple, but as 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? That's who you are. That's who we are. That's who Peter and John know themselves to be. Even as they find this man at a temple gate thinking, I'm never going to get in and find what I need, they say, no, no, we are the gate beautiful, the beautiful gate. It speaks of a gate of mercy. It speaks of a gate of right timing when you do research. We are the beautiful gate through whom the King of glory is going to come and change and shift and bring a breakthrough into your life. So number one is this. You need to know your identity that you call to be a gateway for the life of God, the living God, the King of glory to come in and through. And number two, you need to know your authority. What we see in the midst of this moment, and uh, I've, I've mentioned just the authority that they knew that they carried, but they knew they carried it because uh, Jesus has, had invested all of his life into them. They knew that they were plugged into, that they'd been raised up, seated, plugged into, positioned in the very life of God. 1 Corinthians, sorry, John 17 verse 21 says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's something about knowing that when we are in his life, we are empowered and sent forth that others can see it's visible and it's tangible that we have been sent with all the backing of heaven. And when we speak about being unified with um, the life of God, with who God is positioned in him, we're not talking about some hypothetical, intellectual, philosophical idea. We're talking about uh, this unity and this union that comes from knowing that we are joined to him and we are one spirit. We get to uh, partake in that. That's our access so that we can say silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have, we give to you. We need to know what we do have. And, and the challenge here is even as we see face here and aren't working, here's one of the challenges. The early church, as we look at the book of Acts, the early church had more power than it had money. 
The challenge for us in the Western world is today the church has more money than it has power, seemingly, from what people are seeing. Now, money in itself is not a bad thing. It can be a great resource to release the power of God, but was never meant to become a replacement for the power of God. And sometimes we're using money to build things and create atmospheres and do things that are there as a replacement of the power of God rather than just to serve a moment where people can encounter the power of God, where they can be equipped and they can be enabled to go out and release the power of God uh, where they might go. And that's, that's our desire and that's our hope. And they had access to that and understood they had that authority through one name, that being the name of Jesus. It wasn't just the polite add-on that they put at the end of a prayer that they thought magically if we say in Jesus' name it would happen. They realized, no, we are in Jesus' name utterly and completely. We have, and He has invested Himself in us, and we have fully invested our life into Him. We were baptized not only into Him so that we died and came alive again, but we were baptized into His name, and He has clothed us in His name and garmented him, uh, uh, us in Himself so that when we go, we are going in Jesus' name. When we move, we are carrying, and we are being moved by the very life of God. When we pitch up in a situation, we carry His touch, His breath, and His fragrance wherever we might go. That is the beauty of knowing that we are in, that we come and we pray and we move in the name of Jesus. Is, is there any uh, ladies here um, who might have perfume in their bag? I'm not going to ask you to do anything strange. Can I ask you to do something, Megan? Is there anyone on this side? No one on this side with perfume. Any of the men with perfume? Linda, have you got perfume? No, I'm kidding. Uh, Megan, Linda, can I ask you just to stand and just give two sprays just uh, um, into the air around us? I want us to, even as we're talking about carrying the presence of God, the fragrance of God, I want to just release that even into our midst so that we can start to realize what we carry and what we release as we go. Have you, did you manage to find it? Excellent. Is there anything in there? Make sure you get a little bit on the back of Nathan's shirt as, you, as you're spraying that. <laughs> there we go. But there's something about knowing that when we not only know our identity but authority, when we walk into rooms, we've said before we're not a thermometer but a thermostat. We're not there just to read temperature but we cause to set uh, the climate of heaven and the situations we're walking in. When we walk into a room, be it a, a hospital or a place that's maybe carrying the scent of death, that we get to carry the fragrance of life. That we walk into environments where there's the fragrance of brokenness and corruption and decay, and we get to carry the fragrance of refreshing and renewal. There's something about knowing that we get to move in our identity of who we call to be as a blessing, that we are a blessing, uh, that uh, we have been blessed to be a blessing. We are a blessing going somewhere to happen. That when we're aware that, hang on a second, and in the midst of this moment, I am a beautiful gateway, a living gateway. I am a door of destiny that the king of glory might come through. That's my identity, but not only my identity, my authority, because the power is his, but the privilege is mine. And I'm going to exercise that privilege to release something that's going to shift atmosphere, that it causes there to be a fragrance that people realize there's something else taking place in the room because we've walked in and we are carrying the presence of God. And that's who we are as the beautiful gateway. That's who we are as those that carry the authority of Jesus. So it's identity, it's authority. And finally, I want to just pick up on what our mission is. 
You see, so often we have looked at missions and, think, and thought, you know, maybe it's going across borders or going into different uh, cultures and um, packing our bags and heading off. And uh, that is a form of mission, and that is an outworking of those who are called to be missionaries. But we're not meant to relegate just them to that task, but we are all meant to be, uh, we are all called to live what is called missional. Missional. Um, it's this saying, it's in Latin, it's the word missio dea, and it means this, we get to live as the sending of God and as the mission of God, the sending of God. It's, it's always been on his heart to send. The Father sent the Son, the Son sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit sends us that we can be the sent ones that carry this message in the life of God wherever we go. And there's something about realizing what the mission is, and it's essentially two things I want you just to repeat them. Turn to one person on your left and one person on your right and say this. Mission is two things. It is essentially every day and every broken situation. It's every day and every broken situation. We started off off reading this chapter and it says one day. But Peter's and John's one day is the lame beggar's every day. Peter and John's one day is the lame beggars every day. And when we start to live out our one days with great expectation off the back of our identity and our authority, then we can step into other people's everyday brokenness, hurt and pain, and we can bring the breakthrough that they are so desiring. But you need to start to look at your one day as being an opportunity to live out of your identity and authority. That is when you're stepping into the mission of God. That's when you're able to bring others into breakthrough. It's a when you wake up on a Monday morning and you know that the journey is simply this, it's an everyday moment, it's mission. It's when I'm getting in the car with my kids and I'm driving them to school. And I know that in that moment, I get to share something of, of, uh, of heaven's perspective over their lives. I get to impart something of the Spirit's encouragement to them. I get to break off something of the enemy's lies that have been spoken over them by peers. I get to minister wholeness to brokenness. That is part of it. It's that moment, that testimony that we heard of on the broadwalk uh, when that man was dead. It's by knowing that I can go for a walk on the beach, and yet when I'm, I'm in the midst of this moment, there's something that I carry of identity and authority that when I see someone who's had a heart attack, my mission is this. It's not to think that I've got the solution in and of myself, but I'm a carrier of the grace of God, and I can begin to declare the name in which all power is. And as I start to declare the name of Jesus, things that seemed impossible become possibilities, so that a team that arrives, they're arriving to a setting and a scene where the Spirit of God is ready moving, and there can be breakthrough, and there can be life that returns in the midst of the moment. It's from having this awareness that as um, 1 John 4 verse 17 says of Jesus, as he is, so also are we in the world. As he is, so also are we in the world. It means that we are aligning with that which he's doing, with that which he's wanting to do. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says that every promise of the Father is yes in Christ. Every promise of the Father is yes in Christ. So we, we get to live here and we get to come into agreement with the yes of heaven that is found in Jesus. So we can put it this way. Does Jesus want you? Is it his desire for you to win in your place of study, to, to be so, uh, um, to be so 
alert and aware of what you're studying, to have your intellectual capacity so focused that you can do so well in your studies that the way you live and what's uh, brought out of your profession after that is going to bless others. Yes, he does. That's what he's desiring. Is it that when you go into your workplace, it is his desire that that person there who's in a position of need, that you would be the answer? Is he wanting to be in the midst of that moment moving? Yes, he is. Sometimes we've got to look for the promises of God and we've got to stand before them and we've got to say, Lord, I'm going to stand before your promise. I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to move, but I'm going to come into agreement. I'm going to say amen to your promise that is mine in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say, so be it. And I'm going to not move until it takes place in and through my life. There's something about taking hold of the promises of God and saying, we wanting to see these outworked in us and through us, even as we are the living gateway through whom the King of glory comes. And I want to close off um, just with this. This is where the, the story gets really beautiful. They are at a beautiful gate of the temple that's forgotten its identity. They're at the beautiful gate of the temple. Can I just ask Kerry just to come up on the keys and we're just going to finish. Um, they're at the beautiful gate of the temple that's forgotten its identity. But Peter and John understand that they are the beautiful gate. They are the interface where heaven touches earth. But here is the beauty. Guess what's happening in the midst of this moment? There's a broken beggar who had lost hope, but he's encountered someone who's carrying hope. And this beggar becomes a beautiful gate for 2,000 more people to be added into the body of Christ. You see, there's mission that's waiting for us to step uh, into agreement. There's, there's the purposes of God. There's God's Spirit who's moving in places that would otherwise seem forsaken. But when we pitch up seeing His promise in the midst of it and say, yes, Lord, so be it, then He can turn broken situations into beautiful moments. Uh, that's the invitation that we see here. One person is a beautiful gate. One moment could be your beautiful gate. And this is the encouragement for us as we are heading out into the midst of community and a nation that's desperate for hope. You see, so many of us think, and maybe we advertise, if you come to church tonight, you'll hear a message that will deal with your fear and deal with your brokenness and offer you hope. If you come to church tonight, you'll get that. If you come to the temple, you'll get that. There is beauty in our gathering around the person of Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But what I, I, I love this quote. It's by a man by the name of Alan Scott. He said this, I truly believe that the next move of God is not going to be a movement in the church. It's going to be a movement of the church. And when we get caught up knowing our identity and our authority and our mission, we can see the breakthrough before we bring them to a Sunday service. We can, we can be the overflowing that happens on the streets because Ezekiel 47 speaks about the promise that says there's a river that's going to flow from the throne. And it's going to flow out the eastern gate. The beautiful gate was the eastern gate. It's going to flow out of the eastern gate. This was um, an Old Testament prophecy. We're seeing it outworked in this Acts moment. And it says the river is going to flow out of this gate. It's going to start ankle deep. This man was, had to be lifted up so that strength came back to his ankles. It will start ankle deep, and then it will be knee deep, and then it will be waist deep. And then this river, you will have to swim in it because it will be so high. And it will flow with a current because it's flowing and it's carrying life to the Dead Sea. And life is going to come back to the sea because death is swallowed up in life. And not only that, the trees are going to burst forth in fruitfulness and the leaves of the trees are going to be for the healing of the nations. You see, there's something that happens when we're not overwhelmed by what's happening on the streets, but we know that we're called to be a river that overflows. Not only ankle deep, like with this lame man, but knee deep, waist deep, swimmingly, carrying life, bringing healing. It's our portion. 
and it's something that the, the world is desperate for. But I want to create a moment where we're just so aware, and, and can we just stand up as we do this, that um, I'm going to ask the prayer team just to come forth, just to have some people up front, and then I'm going to ask Kelly just to pick up on anything she might be feeling, but so aware that we need to, as we gather around the person of Jesus, we just need a fresh touch on our life so that we can go and be His touch in the world that we just need to breathe deeply of him so that we can carry and release his fragrance. So maybe if you're here tonight and you just need breakthrough in one of those areas, maybe you're just needing hope, maybe you're just needing, I need to be with Jesus and I need fresh courage. Maybe you're just needing to know, I need to be uh, prayed with to know the value of what I carry so that I can release it. I, I, I don't know what it might be, but uh, I trust that something's spoken to you in this message. So let me just pray. Father, we just thank you for the beauty of the gift of your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we just love you. We just love to gather around you and just to, uh, just to partake of you and participate in your life. And Holy Spirit, we just recognize your presence here, that you are massaging and breathing and just speaking and, and just bringing revelation and illumination and insight. I just thank you that you are bringing courage in hearts, Lord, that you are establishing us in our identity, that you are clothing us in power for that which you've called us to. And Lord, that you would open our eyes to the mission. I pray, Lord, that as we head out, uh, that every day out working of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, that we would be aware of what you're calling us to in the midst of this week. And I pray, Lord, that when we encounter those broken situations, that we carry your healing balm, Lord. But Lord, we want to say we just want to, we want to meet with you here this evening. We want to move from a place of encounter so that we can be released with power. So we just hand it this evening and just this moment over to you, Spirit of God, just to have your way.